Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. The original rivalry was backed to its fiery best on Saturday night as spoils were shared at the top of the table, whilst the Brisbane brawl started hot again but in the end were put to the sword by Wellington. Aurelio Vidmar got his Melbourne City tenure off to a good start with a win over the Blues, which sees even more pressure pile on Steve Corica. Meanwhile, the Jets give up a two-goal lead to the Wanderers. Glory get their first win under Alan Stajic and MacArthur pinch it late over Western United. We'll also talk about the national second tier, confirmed by Football Australia to be starting in 2025. Joining me on the show today is Paletti. Hello. Good afternoon. Kashun, good evening. Hey, Rocky. And Antonis, how was your trip down to Melbourne? Hello, yeah. Interesting as always. <laughs> well, we'll start there with the original rivalry. Melbourne victory won, Adelaide United won. And Antonis, this is, it feels like the rivalry is, is back to its glory days, really, in terms of Melbourne victory, Adelaide United sitting back at the top of the table, given it is only round three. But there were red cards on both sides, plenty of controversy. And in the end, you know, Adelaide United probably would have felt lucky at half time to only be one goal down. But in the end, thinking they probably should have won the match. Yeah, look, it's. Uh, I've actually had a conversation with a few people, and we've all agreed it's. It was one of the more heated ones in recent times. You know, we've got both sides at the higher ends of the table. So, yeah, look, that first half, it was victory's match. And if it ended up being like a 5 0, like Western United being down against Western Sydney the week before, I think Adelaide wouldn't really have many complaints. But credit to Joe Gauci, who was absolutely immense in goals for keeping a level and you know after the first six seven minutes of the first half when victory still couldn't convert you start to think you know adelaide surely's got something to say here and sure enough spoils were shared as you mentioned so bruno fornaroli had the the first goal of the game paletti and in true bruno fashion he was in the right place at the right time and he was clinical with his finishing and then uh, Nishan Valupale as well missed plenty of chances in the first half. Victory could have been three or four goals up by halftime. Yeah, and I mean, it's look, this was a very good game. And I think, you know, a little bit more accurate on shooting. And we're not talking about what we'll talk about in a few minutes because the game's well and truly, you know, put to bed by that point. In terms of Melbourne victory, I think, I don't know, this, this game just felt weird to me the entire way around. Like, as you know, Antonis said, it was heated, but it also just felt like there was just something that was bubbling away on the surf, uh, under the surface that was just stopping this from being one of the great games um, in the history of the original rivalry, if that makes sense. Okay, Christian, we'll, we'll go to the red cards then. The first one was to Roderick Miranda and two yellow cards, both fair enough, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially the second yellow card. I mean... He's such an experienced veteran. He's obviously the captain of the team. I mean, he's got to know better than that. I mean, just let Iran Kunda run through. He's caught him from the back of the hill. Um, no complaints at all. Second yellow for sure. Um, and that obviously just completely changes the game from there on in. And, and this really um, puts a question mark over Victory's defensive line, particularly for next week, right? Because they lost Jer- Jason Guerrero at halftime last week against the Jets. They lost Adama Traore very early in this one as well. And now Rod- Rodwick Miranda goes as well for the next game against Wellington. So 
that that's going to be a completely new look back four for victory, who are you know, still struggling to defend, uh, defend set pieces. They've conceded two now in the last couple of weeks. Where, where do they go for there? How is their back four going to look next week? Yeah, definitely. Like, as we mentioned the past couple of weeks, I mean, especially last week, they conceded three to the Jets at home. I mean, the defence was never really perfect to begin with. There was always, you know, room for improvement. And I think Popovich now losing, like you said, Miranda, Jason Guerrier, I mean, he's going to have to completely reshuffle that that back four for um, the coming match. But um, if there's one coach who can, you know, sort of, you know, put something together in the training park within one week and then, you know, get a result, it's Tony Popovich. So, yeah, got full faith in him. But, um, yeah, it's not ideal for sure. And, Tonis, I'm interested in your opinion on this because when Miranda went off and both of his yellow cards were for fouls on Nesta Irinquinda, I heard through the broadcast and on social media there were a lot of Victory fans booing Nesta. Was that kind of the incident that sparked it all? Yeah, I don't really understand, to be honest, because as you mentioned, they were both fair enough yellow cards. So I don't know if you want to, if you see him as a threat, I guess, and you want to get under his skin, it might be a case of that. I was also confused that when Musa Toure began being booed, that made no sense whatsoever but yeah moving on that I think I don't know it's more of a trying to get under his skin being upset that your captain's been sent off but yeah I don't know other than that it didn't really make any sense to me really because as you mentioned also especially the second one is an absolute yellow card you can't have any arguments all right Pelletti we'll move on to Irin Kunda's red card then and the first one is, is, is the first yellow card is by the by, but the second one, there's been a lot of talk about it, a lot of commentary. I feel it's quite simple. Should Alex King have blown a free kick for Chris Economides' foul on Nestor? Yes. Did Iren Gunda then also deserve a second yellow card for his reaction? Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, I'll make a case, um, just going back a second, as uh, Roderick Miranda shouldn't have had a yellow card for that second challenge. It should have been a straight red. It was studs up. That's like it. So right decision in the end anyway. Um, but yes, going, going back to going back to Aaron Kondar, this is, this is something that people have noted that it's an issue with him. That he has the habits of, you know, letting the situations get the better of him, getting angry, not getting in control of his emotions. And we saw it last year with the Wanderers where, you know, late in the game, it just absolutely blew over. And the same thing happened here. I mean, I'll defend referees to the death, but Alex King got this wrong, as did the assistant referee. How the assistant referee doesn't stick his flag up when the action's three metres in front of him is beyond me. Like this is this is a whole round bad performance by the referees, and I like Alex King. Antona said he thinks he's one of the best in the country, and I tend to agree. He usually is good, and I feel like I'm unnecessarily piling on the referees here, and I, I hate doing that because it doesn't help get more referees into the systems. I don't know. I just I think that the sooner this incident is forgotten about, the better. But I just absolutely know that when the next original rivalry rolls around, this is going to be part of 10's pre-show. Antonis, do you agree with Pauletti that um, this kind of behaviour from Nestor has been seen before as a little bit of a pattern? Yeah, look, I've been watching Nestor since like, he played NPL Reserves for United. It's it's just his character, I guess. As 
just a short excuse, you know. I've got one as well. What can I say? It's <laughs> it's something you have to learn how to control, and it's easy to forget. He's 17 years old. He's a kid, you know. Of course, of course, you're going to react in ways that, you know, you're not going to be proud of looking back. And I think he understands that as well. And it has happened before. And I think that's what you saw in the press conference. Calvi had stopped short. Yeah, he, of course, he admitted that, yeah, it should have been a foul, but he did not excuse the behavior because he knows it's something that Nesta need, does need to work on. And especially if you believe the rumors and he's going to be playing for Bayern Munich next year or be in that system, it's something that you need to have in control when you go there because you're no longer the star boy there. You're just another guy. And that stuff goes a long way. So, yeah, it's something he needs to get better at. He's no longer this kid that's coming off the bench to make an impact. He is a starter and his team needs him. And his team's going to miss him this week. And I think that's what's going to hurt him the most out of anything. So, as you mentioned, Lucky, absolutely a missed foul. I can argue there was four missed fouls in about five seconds there. And, yes, absolutely a second yellow. Um, so, yeah, that's where you go from there. And as for the referees, again, nothing wrong with putting your hand up and saying, yep, I'm, the referee got that one wrong. We're not getting abusive or anything, but you got that wrong, full stop. Nothing about the player having to be stronger or anything. If there's a foul there, if there's a shirt pull, he's pushed to the ground, it's a foul. Call it. You know, absolutely the reaction was wrong from Nesta, but at the same time, you incited it. So, you know, it's you have to look at it from both sides. So, again, it's just another original rivalry moment. It's not quite um, Kevin Musket being choked by Jeff <laughs> but it's something. I don't want to say Aaron Kunda is too young because he is 17, but, and you talked about, you know, perhaps his age playing into it a little bit. He doesn't have the maturity of an older athlete, although depending on who you want to look at, I mean, Connor Chapman's older and he wasn't exactly mature about the whole situation on, on Saturday night. Like, like, do you think his age is playing more of a factor into this? Yeah, it's not just the age, though. It's the person as well because Adelaide's got other players. Like, for example, if Ethan Alligage was in that situation, he would not react like that. It's just the person as well, as long as well with the age you know it's a combination of things and you know anyone that's watched him for a while knows that's just it's just who he is and he will be the first one to admit it's something he needs to work on as well and you know there's no problem in that and i'd much rather him learn that lesson in the a league rather than when he's on loan at a club from Bayern munich and he has to he gets blacklisted or something for reacting away to his teammate you know it's this is where you, you make your mistakes. This is where you learn. No problem. And there's players that still, like Jamie Young, for example, he makes a save or something. He's the angriest man on the pitch. You know, some, sometimes that doesn't leave you. And that's fine. You just have to learn how to channel it. And he's a kid. That's his character. No problems. Just learn how to, I guess, control that. And I guess that's why... A club's got a Carl Viet as a coach who's a specialist at coaching these young players. Why Orion Kitta is a captain and experienced head. It's these guys that have to get their arms around him and just tell him, yep, no worries, you made a mistake, but you need to understand. We need you right now. You are an important player and you can't let us down like that. So he would take his week off and Luka Jovanovic will come in instead in the squad. He'll be back after international break and hopefully he's learned from it and we'll go from there. Hopefully no more of these discussions in the future. Just finally on this one, Christian, Joe Gauci, I know Antonis mentioned him earlier, but he was exceptional, particularly in the first half to keep 
victory just the one goal ahead, especially with the, the Socceroos camp coming up, uh, I believe in 10 days' time or something like that. I would be shocked if Gauci wasn't a part of that setup with some A-League minutes under his belt now. Oh, for sure. I mean, that first half, that should have easily been 3 or 4-0 if it was for Joe Gauci. Like, he was exceptional. He was man of the match for me without a shadow of a doubt. Um, especially that one-on-one save he made. I mean, that was just all class. And, I mean, surely Graham Arnold's looking at him thinking, surely maybe give this kid 45 minutes. Um at least, you know, in the next friendly or something. I know we've got World Cup qualifiers coming up and he'll, he'll stick with Matt Ryan, but definitely, at the very least, deserves to be in the squad 100%. He's been terrific so far. Mm-hmm. And I can really make an argument that all three results may have been different without Joe Gauci in goals, even the 6-0, because you're very easy to forget that penalty that he saved halfway through that game. And especially, and you know, Andrew Redman is an absolute hero for what he did against Peru, but Come on, if we're picking a soccer squad based on merit, there's not much that needs to be said after the start of this season. Well, uh, we'll look forward to that squad announcement, and I'm sure we'll go into some detail when it comes to light. Okay, moving on now to Wellington Phoenix 5, Brisbane Raw 2. And Christian, as I said, Brisbane Raw got out of the blocks very quickly, yet again. Uh, but in the end, they were the, their own worst enemies to a certain extent in this one gifting Wellington a goal to get back in the game. And Oscar Zawada was a, with a very nice hat-trick. Yeah, this was a really entertaining game from start to finish. I mean, not only because of the seven goals that were scored, but, I mean, there was some football that was being played, you know, very pleasing to the eye, which is obviously great to see. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the game, Brisbane, like you said, couldn't have dreamt of a better start, you know, playing away from home in New Zealand. Um, Florian Berenger, classy finish after, I think, 30 seconds it was. Um, which sums up how well he's been playing so far this season. You know, his ability to, you know, provide that link up to combine with, you know, some of the youngsters we know that are playing up front. Um, that's obviously valuable for, you know, Ross Aloisi to have a player like that. Um, but I thought Wellington, you know, started to slowly find their feet and, you know, get back into the game, which they had some help from Tom, Tom Aldred, like you said, um, with the poor back pass and the easy sort of finish from Zavada to, yeah, from there, I guess it was a Zavada show, really. He completed his hat-trick in the second half. I think that's four goals in three games now this season. And, yeah, really proving that he's going to be a crucial asset if, you know, Wellington are to make some noise come, you know, April or May because defensively I still don't fully trust them. I mean, Wellington are a side, I think, who need to, you know, take their opportunities when they arrive because otherwise I don't see the personnel at the back, you know, with some of the, the youth they have, you know, such as, um, you know, Kelly Hield and Finn Sermon, you know, they're two youngsters at the back. Um, but for Brisbane, they shouldn't let this result affect them too much because on the pitch, like we've touched on previously um, in past weeks, you can see the possession-based patterns of football and, you know, the intent going forward. It's all there to see and it's only going to build as the season progresses. And then, Tony, this is kind of what Brisbane sign up for, right, under Ross Aloisi with, you know, their willingness to press high up the field and expose themselves at the back a little bit. You're going to get caught in transition a little bit and there will be learnings from that. Well, again, it's a learning process. You know, even Ross said after the game, like, we can improve the way we play. We have a way we want to play and we need to stick to it to get these results. And at the end of the day, you know, this is a competition that doesn't severely punish you. You know, it's one of these weird competitions. I was having this conversation in the off-season with an Adelaide United fan that, yes, United had a fantastic season last year, 
made a semi-final, finished third. They could have a season where they sneak into the six with a game to go this year, win one single game, and go to the exact same spot they were last year. You know, there's there's a big margin for error in this competition. So I'd much rather my teams go out there and want to play the football they want to play and build from that because I think we're going to get a much more exciting league. And that's why I'm enjoying about both those sides because even Wellington came into this year an unknown entity and they started pretty well, you know, results-wise. And even though they don't have that personnel, I can see Italiana has really set them up in a way where they understand they're confident playing. And, and you know, Rossellona has been very well covered in its early days. Uh, very fun to watch with pretty much, other than a few pieces, a very similar side to last year. So both coaches are doing very well. But, yeah, it is an eyebrow-raising result because you didn't expect Wellington to be the one putting five past the opposition in that game, was it? Pulley, on the Zavada hat-trick... The first goal, yes, okay, is a, a bit of a gift from Aldred. The second one, great feat of strength, far post header, does what a, a good solid number nine could do. But then the third goal is one of the most comical hat-trick goals I've ever seen. He tries to almost take a, a touch and, and miscontrols it in off the uh, the top bar and, and, and into the goal for his third. Yeah, I think I said on uh, on Saturday in our, in our group chat, um, he's going to win the golden boot and he's not going to have to do any work for it. This is the way, the way he's going. He, he, get, he gets the assist from Ollie Taylor last week. He gets an assist from Tom Aldridge this week. His, you know, his hat-trick goal, you know, it was literally as easy as you like. All he had to do was tap it in and almost missed it as well. Um, you know, uh, Chubbs Peterson would have been uh, very, very disappointed had he, had he missed that. Um, you're looking at me blankly, Lucky. Just tap it in. Just tap it in. Oh, happy Gilmore. Okay, very <laughs> nice. Um, you know, I, I think I think what he's doing actually so far this season has been fantastic, honestly. And like I legitimately think he's gonna be a contender for Golden Boot, although he might actually have to work for it just a little bit. Yeah, and just with them quickly, and it's more to previous years under Talley than this year, but they've just been a side that the last few years they've just gotten their international the visa signings just very very right because they're all they're, it feels like they're always contributing and they're very important Zavada like you mentioned even the previous years just looks the good so they're doing some really good stuff with their visa signings in Wellington all right on now to Melbourne City 2 Sydney FC nil and Paletti a win for Melbourne City the, a win in the wooden spoon bowl as I, as I was comically calling it earlier in the week. Um, but a win for Aurelia Vidmar in his first match in charge and even more pressure now on Steve Corica. Yeah, that uh, that new manager bounce is, is definitely something. It's, I don't know what it is in sports, but it's it's happening all, all across the all across the world. I mean City just like Sydney never looked like they were gonna do anything in this game. Like from from the time the first from the from the opening whistle to full, like maybe a little bit in the last ten minutes or so when the game's basically gone. But like they never looked like the goods, and you can you can see it with their two goals. Like Steven Yugarkovich was given a world of space, um, and you know had to slip it past Andrew Redmayne, you know, in the corner, but you know got it in with relative ease, and then. What in the hell was Ryan Grant thinking? Just 
absolutely just leaving Jackalis off to his own devices to to come and create a two on one that you know left a dangerous player wide open for an easy tap in to uh, tap in yeah yeah for an easy tap into McLaren like tap it in yeah exactly tap it in <laughs> I just like honestly like I love Ryan Grant I think he's fantastic but that goal there that second goal is kind of you know a representative of what's going on at Sydney FC at the moment no one seems to know what they're doing my my favorite part of that goal is you can see in the background Joe Lolly turning away in disgust and <laughs> see what's happening. <laughs> but yeah, I just don't understand with Sydney how you can have basically three of your visa signings being in that final third with Gomez, with um, Mac and Lolly, and just looking so harmless when you enter that final third. I don't know. What's happened? You know, one thing I did not think we'd be talking about Sydney this year is that they'd be toothless in front of goals. So I don't know where it's come from, and I'm kind of getting worried because they're due goals and they're playing Adelaide this weekend. So, <laughs> but, yeah, it's like Pelletti said at the start. Well, what's going to be my point? City never looked in any doubt in losing that game. Okay, maybe at the start it felt like a bit of a stalemate, but they never looked under any danger. But, yeah. Good to see Aurelio get a job in the A-League again. Good to see him get a win on the first try. And good to see four out of the 12 coaches in the A-League are South Australian. Love to see that. You knew I was going to bring it up. Uh, who, who had the under on 25 minutes? Antonio's <laughs> mentioning the amount of SA coaches in the A-Leagues at the moment. <laughs> anyway, yes, Aurelio Vidmar, South Australian, in charge of Melbourne City now. has got the win. But Christian, to be perfectly honest... Uh, it doesn't seem all that positive because the win was against Sydney FC, right? The, the, the biggest story is Sydney FC are bad. Um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to play who's in front of you, obviously, and they needed that win. But from a Sydney perspective, what I was going to add was I thought it was disappointing the way the game sort of fizzled out, you know, towards, you know, sort of the end of the, end of the game. Um, you know, just I thought there was a lack of, you know, intensity and urgency. Um they just thought, you know, all right, the game's done. We're going to look ahead to next week. Like, that's just not acceptable from a Sydney side, in my opinion, you know. Um, they had no shots on target in the whole game as well. So, I mean, yeah, you can look at it from a Sydney side and uh, from a City perspective, sorry, and think, yeah, okay, it wasn't the best opposition on the day. But, you know, they were struggling themselves coming in. They hadn't picked up a point. So, you know, yeah. um, you can look at it from that perspective as well. But, I mean... Yeah, a bit of situ, obviously, take the three points, his first game in charge of the team. Um, and, yeah, they'll look look forward from there. Yeah, and when you lose two of your last three league games by six goals and your manager gets sacked midweek, any, any win's a good win. So I'm sure they're very <laughs> happy, especially a very new-look side, piecing it together slowly. And that can, that can build momentum as well. It doesn't matter who the opposition is. Like, that's just, you know, the catalyst to, you know, sort of, a mini revival. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I still I always go back to that one in season 2015 16 when Adelaide couldn't buy a win in the first six, seven weeks of the season. We had the most awful 1 0 win against Perth Glory. And you're like, whatever, it's there. And then you lose one more game the entire season. So sometimes you just need an ugly one out the way. And it might be that for City. 
So, so what you're saying is that Sydney FC is going to win the going to win the trophies at the end of the season? No, no, that's Melbourne City. That's Melbourne City. <laughs> Sydney, Sydney have to win a game first, and then we. Yeah, can exactly. Fall. Sydney's going to beat Adelaide this week in Adelaide, and that's it. They're going to lose one for the rest of the season. And Tony's just said it. <laughs> okay, it, place your bets, guys. I, the two outcomes are Sydney beat Adelaide United and then go to win the premiership. <laughs> Or they lose and Adelaide United kick out their second manager for the season after only a month. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be like a, the Dravis game or something along those lines and no one's going to get anything from it. <laughs> All right. Interesting. We shall see as the week unfolds. Moving on now, Newcastle Jets 2, Western Sydney Wanderers 2, and Christian, two brilliant goals from Apostolos Stamatolopoulos, particularly that first header, had a shades of Robin Van Persie written all over that. But giving up a two-goal lead, the Wanderers did get back in the game, and it will feel like points lost for them. Yeah, I have to be honest. Before this game started, I predicted a pretty low-scoring affair. Um, partly to do with, you know, the Wanderers coming off a 5-0 win against West United last week. You know, there's usually a bit of a drop-off after such a big result like that. But it was actually the Jets who I thought, you know, capitalised on that theory and, you know, punished a, a sort of sluggish first-half performance from the Wanderers. Um, two goals, like you mentioned, from Apostolos. I won't mention the last name because Antonis will rip into me. Um, it's a tongue twister, tongue twister for me, but... <laughs> and then, yeah, but the first goal, like you said, that was a peach of a header right in the corner. That was a great finish. Um, that just shows his quality. But then we know McDonald's Jones Stadium isn't an easy venue to go visit. Um, but I thought, you know, whatever Marco Rudan's team talk was at halftime, it worked wonders because I thought the intensity lifted big time. Um, you know, some of the leaders like Berlante, who added a goal himself, and, you know, the likes of Marcelo really stepped up and, I thought stamped their authority and their leadership and uh, Mark Santonson gets the equaliser, I think, with about 10 minutes to go. And, yeah, I thought they would be unlucky not to actually win it in the end. But, yeah, for me what's interesting is that Brandon Borello actually hasn't got his name on the score sheet yet, um, despite, you know, his teammates notching up seven goals in the past two games. So, I mean, yeah, that's a scary proposition that Borello hasn't even found his top form yet. But, yeah, like you said, Lockie, it's two points dropped, you feel, from the Jets' point of view. Politi, I think giving Josh Berlante credit for that first Western Sydney goal is almost as generous as giving a goal to Harry Sutar against New Zealand for the flick off his chest. He didn't seem to know too much about it. It was Marcelo that's the dangerous one off set pieces. Uh, it doesn't matter how it goes in the back of the net as long as it goes in the back of the net. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like this game was bonkers. I think... I mean, does it really matter who gets credit for the goal in the end? Honestly, like, I mean, maybe maybe it matters. Maybe it matters for like Johnny Warren standings or like Golden Boot if it comes down to one. Was it Harry Kane a couple of years back in the in the Prem was you know petitioning his teammate? Uh, was it Lucas Mora so he could try and win the Golden Boot? Yeah, no, he swore on his daughter's life or something like that. That was his goal. But yeah, it's funny because like in if there was an opposition player. It wouldn't go down as a known goal because it was going on target. But because it's his teammate, his teammate gets credited with it. But the Paramount camera is credited to Marcelo because all the celebrations you could see were from him. It was just one of those games that you're like, coming into it, you're just like, wouldn't this be typical Wanderers to drop points here after that performance last week? And you know how they started. You're like, yep, here we go. But as Christian mentioned, them coming out in the second half and really pushing, not just for a draw, for a win, it shows you that there's a bit 
about them. And, you know, it's a pretty good luxury when you can score seven goals in two weeks and Brandon Borello, soccer really doesn't get involved by scoring any of them. It shows you that there's definitely a fair bit about them. And once he starts scoring, which he will, um, they're going to be a very tough team to keep quiet. But for them, it's going to be more of the staying mentally engaged. The talent is there. What can we do with it? How can we produce consistently? And I think that's Rudan's challenge, which I think he knows himself. Christian, you mentioned uh, the Wanderers' Swedish number nine, Marcus Antonsson. He's just starting to get his groove. I thought his first touch, particularly for that goal, was absolutely superb. We've seen the value that Visa strikers can have in this league if you pick the right one, and the Wanderers certainly seen that they've done all right. Yeah, like you said, it's about picking the right ones, isn't it? I mean, it's, we've seen on occasion, you know, 50% of the time it comes off, 50% of the time it doesn't, you know, and one of these um, these signings in the Wanderers, I think they've they've uh, done good business. Um, yeah, like you said, took it well. First touch was brilliant. Um, and, I mean, it's only, what, three games into the season. Like, he's going to be um, still adjusting, you know, to the culture of, you know, Australia in general, um, let alone the club and, you know, the tactics, etc. So, yeah, just give him time. And um, like we said with Barella as well, I mean, if those two can sort of link up with combining with a few goals each, then, yeah, they're going to be a dangerous threat. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I had the displeasure of seeing Antonsen rip United apart in the cup during the preseason. So he does look the goods. And for the Wanderers, it's just huge getting a striker like that because, honestly, they are in the Hall of Fame of signing some of the worst Visa strikers in this competition's history. So for them to get someone like that and to surround him with talent like a Borello, like a Brock, it's very important, especially when you're chasing silverware after many years like they are. And big credit also to Oscar Priestman as well to come on as a young player and to be able to pick out that pass in the box when this game is descending into chaos. Very impressive. But yeah, very handy when you have a ant and some with a touch like that and a finish like that to make something that most make look difficult very simple. Uh, Oscar Priestman, he's parting the red and black sea. <laughs> they what the former sky blue. <laughs> Don't remind me. Uh, add him to the long list of names that are going to come <laughs> back to haunt Sydney FC. Christian, finally, uh, Western Sydney did get a penalty at two all. Never a handball correctly overturned. I'm not too sure how I was really given a penalty, to be honest. Um, it's one of those handballs where, you know, yeah, it hits the hand, but I mean, it's like a sort of what can you do moment, you know? Did it even hit the hand? I, I didn't even, I think it like hit his like shoulder or something. Like It's just, can... it's one of those things that you're like, we bash VAR and all these things. But if VAR doesn't exist in this game, like everyone is going losing their absolute mind. Well, the argument was which like part of the arm did it hit, you know, that's sort of... I don't even reckon it hit the arm. Okay, moving on, Perth Glory 2, Central Coast Mariners nil. Perth finally get their first win under Alan Stajic. The f- one point from their first two games probably didn't quite do them justice, but they've got the maiden win. They had a, a, a target goal ruled out for offside as well. He got the clincher late on in the game. And Paletti, they got it. They got the win. Alan Stajic, everyone can rejoice. It's done, it's settled, off the mark. Yeah, so Stajic comes out, uh, pretty much press conference, is asked by Ben Smith from the West Australian. Um, is Ollie Taylor 
going to start. Alan Stajic back slowly sail in. He's going to start. He's fine. He just needs confidence in him. And the matchday squad comes out and Cameron Cook's in goal. And it's like, huh, football coach, lying. Who'd have thought? Um, I mean, maybe something went wrong. Who knows? Uh, you just got to get that one, right? And we, we talked about it earlier. You just got to get that. You just got to get that first win. Get it however you can get it. Um, at the end of the day, Angel Torres, absolute buffoonery for a red card and you know angel turned devil i guess if if you want to if you want to look at it like that ruled out any chance of the mariners getting back into this game and it's to perth glory's uh benefit um from my side at least it was you have to remember i'll go back to the goalkeeping thing um at least i was actually a ruben zabkovich signing so it's not like Alan Stadges has brought his man in and he's going to back him. And Cameron Cook was decent last year. He, once again, he came in and showed he can very well be the number one there. So it was good to see him have a good performance. But yeah, like you mentioned, Perth was overdue. That maybe you can argue they were hard done by the last two games. Probably the biggest enemy was themselves. But, you know... They got a win. They finally got that win at home, which is what the Mariners really need right now, ironically. It was good to see Steph Kolokovsky get another one. He's, after last year especially, not getting basically any game time. It's really good to see him enjoy his football again. But, yeah, uh, much near the win. And attention on the Mariners now because I think playing-wise, they're actually doing all right but they're just missing that Cummings type so, so badly. Because we know Alakwa was a very competent striker, but it's just a completely different player. And he can't quite do everything Cummings was doing from a playmaking perspective as well as a striking. So it's just a new look team, and it's going to take some time to gain that confidence. Hopefully sooner rather than later, because I think they can be quite an exciting team if they get it together and chase finals. I think Quo, like you mentioned as well, so um, like he's a player that can sort of make something happen on his own. I think there's a couple of players up front with the Mariners who they sort of rely more on, you know, sort of, I guess, the link-up play, where, whereas Quo can sort of just make something happen out of nothing. And I think maybe he could maybe start maybe a couple more games. I know he came off the bench, but, um, and obviously rest as well um, with midweek. But yeah, I think, they're sort of missing that sort of type of you know caliber of player who can just make something happen. What I was what I was going to say is, do they need to go out and sign someone in January? Because we know, like you know, based on Adelaide United, you know, you can start the season poorly and come back and win, but you're almost getting to halfway through the season by the time the January transfer window rolls around. So, do they have to go sign someone on January first if if this continues? Uh, I'm sure there will be keeping an eye on things. They are not the most, I guess, financially blessed club. So it's not really a Mariners move, but I'm sure they'll be backing their coach with the resources got available. Can't forget there's still a couple of months to that spot. So a lot to play out. So I don't think the mind is there quite yet. It's about, it's a new look squad. It's a new coach. Get them solidified. See what you've got there and then reevaluate. Bloody, what do you think success is for the Central Coast Mariners this year? They've obviously had their squad ripped out from under them. 
So being competitive in the league is hard, but they have this opportunity on the other hand of, with the AFC Cup. To, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and, and it depends on what the owners prefer in terms of preference, but I don't know. When do you start perhaps turning attention towards that and maybe taking it away from the league? Well, I think success might have to be a finals appearance in the league because, um, you know, once you get in, anything can happen. And we've seen that in the past. I think, I think they might have to try and throw as many resources as they can at the AFC Cup, because so in order for the A League sides to break even on the AFC Cup, they have to make the final to make money on it. They have to win the final. I'm not necessarily saying that Mariners are going to win the final, but they have the resources to at least get to the final especially when you look at the makeup of some of these other teams. We've seen the score lines where, you know, some you know, the Mariners and MacArthur have absolutely battered a couple of these teams. You know, they can batter these teams. Once you get into the knockouts, it's gonna be a little bit harder. You're gonna be playing teams of similar quality. But by that point, A League sides will be well and truly into the season and it should just be a matter of time, I think, that once this cohesion starts getting going. So I would expect success to look like finals in the A-League, final appearance in the AFC Cup for the Mariners. Okay, last game of the round now. MacArthur FC won Western United nil. And Paletti, you were there. And despite Tom Hewitt-Bell's best efforts, particularly in that first half, it was a late goal from Ali Ugla to clinch the win for the Bulls. Yeah, Ali Ugla, debut goal. Um, So... Chatting, chatting pre-game uh, inside inside the press box there uh, with MacArthur's media manager Don Bossy, and pre-match his prediction was he said this is either going to be four four or this is going to be one nil and Ali Ugla Thunderbolt one nil winner late in the game and sure enough Ali Ugla Thunderbolt one nil winner late in the game for his uh, his first A League men goal and that's back to back weeks for MacArthur with players breaking their league goal-scoring drought uh, with Kieran Backus scoring his first 112 matches in the league last week against the Mariners. I mean, this game probably should have been put to bed well before it was. Tom Hewitt-Bell coming up absolutely massive and John Aloisi was full of praise for him uh, post-game, you know, reminding everyone that Despite how long he's been around, he hasn't played a lot of A-League football because he's been sitting on the bench to Andrew Redmayne. Um, and Alois was just very happy with the way that his squad rebounded after its 5-0 loss to Western United. Uh, not to Western United, to the Western Sydney Wanderers. I mean, Western United probably also could have won this game as well. It's, it was a very, very weird game that, that played out... I think in the end, MacArthur, calling them deserved winners is probably a little bit much. Like, both of these sides deserve to win, or more accurately, neither deserve to lose. Overall, this was, this was a very tough game in a packed, you know, and it's going to be forgotten about very easily because it was a very packed Saturday of fixtures, you know, starting in Wellington and ending in Perth. And this was, this was a tough watch for a lot of stretches. And you know, I had reservations coming into this game of, low crowd numbers and just dire football because there was going to be the threat of rain. Um, for those who are familiar with Campbelltown, the annual Fishers Ghost Festival was going on. So I expected a lot of people to be, you know, attending that. And the, the crowd number ended up being about 2,800 if memory serves. So it was a very decent, very decent crowd number 
for MacArthur. And so I just, overall, I thought that this is this was a game and let's leave it at that. Yeah, and Tonus, MacArthur sometimes does get forgotten a little bit, perhaps, you know, partly because of the low crowds and low supporter bases. But they've very quietly had a very good start to the season, seven points. Yeah, it's they've gotten, I guess... They're doing what Central Coast has done and Adelaide and I have done recently and selected a coach that knows the youth landscape, that knows who he wants to play and how he wants them to play. And you see guys like Ali Oglo, who, for me, has looked very good this season. And I'm very happy to see him get that goal because I do think he's one that does have a very bright future ahead of him. But there's a couple there. It's not just him. You've got multiple players there that are exciting. And not many people... I guess gave MacArthur their flowers as a football side coming into the season, but it's similar to Central Coast and Adelaide in recent years because people outside the club don't quite know what's there. They're unknown quantities, but inside the club, people know these guys and rate them highly. So we're seeing a lot more of that. So it's good to see them, I guess, get that win and a young player get that goal. I do find a thought for for Ben Garuccio, who after having Lockie Brooks score a thunderbolt and then another goal in last week, had the unfortunate slip to, I guess, allow Ogle through and that goal coming in. I'm sure that won't be mentioned on his podcast this week. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Mork will give him a bit of hell for it. Christian, anything from you on this one? Yeah, I thought West United obviously needed to respond from last week's humiliation. Let's just put it that way. I mean, conceded five goals in the first half, but... I thought, you know, defensively, they sort of, they had to go out with the mindset to, you know, sort of keep it tight early. They couldn't afford to, you know, concede a couple, um, you know, early on, especially in the first half. But, um, yeah, I think MacArthur's one of those sides with a lot of, you know, attacking flair, a lot of um, a lot of ideas going forward. But um, in the end, I think they just, just deserve the win. But, yeah, I think the United, yeah, a bit of questions now. Um, with two losses in a row. Obviously, they beat City 2-1, but um, like we've said, you know, City have struggled themselves. So it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, how they sort of push forward and if this is just a blip. Okay, that's all six A-League men's games done for this round. In other news, Football Australia has announced that the national second tier will launch in 2025, not the 2024 season as we expected, or it was announced back in July. The teams have been chosen, Paletti, but we do not know them yet. That announcement will be made on the 20th of November, as well as the competition format. But it is good that we finally have a little bit of clarity, at least, and a bit of a plan moving forwards. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the announcement uh, came out today at the time of recording, and... I, it's good that we've gotten an update on this because a lot of things have been starting to float out and, you know, everyone's just kind of like, oh, is this right? Is that right? You know, where's where's all the information coming from? Who's doing what? And so I think it's good from Football Australia to to set the record straight. Um, you know, the reason for the delay is given by Football Australia uh, was basically it was around competition structure, um, you know, helping helping the teams out a little bit as well, as well as helping out the federations because we've seen the reports from from football Queensland and you know because they're not the only federation that's impacted by this. Like football New South Wales, if some of the rumours are to be believed, are going to be heavily impacted by this uh, with 
you know, up to five teams essentially leaving the competitions depending on depending on what the structures are and you know, having to for, for what is an a sixteen team MPL men's competition next year, potentially having five sides depart after everything's already been sorted out creates a lot of headaches and the like. So I think I think this was the only way forward for Football Australia was to delay the start date. Um, and yeah, we've got two weeks when we'll find out who the foundation sides are and what this format's going to look like, whether it's this Champions League model, whether it's a home and away season, you know, and, and all of that. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be running around over the next two weeks to try and get everything sorted out and make sure that all the legal frameworks are in place and, and everything like that to to help this be a successful launch. Yeah, so Antonis, the statement also reads... The, the pushback to 2025 grants all stakeholders sufficient time to finalise all logistical, regulatory and operational aspects to guarantee a successful inauguration of the competition. This national second tier has been such a big deal and, and the potential impact it can have for Australian football is huge. One extra year to wait doesn't seem like a huge sacrifice to just ensure that we get it right. Yeah, look, a lot of these gloves were wearing for just about 20 years when they were taken out of the national stage. So an extra year is well worth it if you are going to get it right and you need to get it right because it's one of those things that if you don't get it right, it just pushes back this concept for God knows how long. So right, call, and especially we're at that point right now where many players actually aren't signing anything because they don't know what next year looks like and you know football isn't their main thing right now they're hoping it can be but they have to make decisions on their lives as well as Paletti mentioned competitions are making decisions as well so you're at the point that you're risking way too much chaos right now so right call for clubs federations for football australia announce the prospective teams now in a couple of weeks and then we can have the season of i guess those discussions publicly as well with us and other people discussing it, but behind closed doors with these clubs, federations, Football Australia, about how this looks like come March or April 2025, because it's of paramount importance you get this right. And not everyone's going to be represented. I don't expect South Australia to be represented, but it's something that we need to build towards. And if this initial phase doesn't go right, before anyone from South Australia or anywhere else, like WA or etc., is ready that competition may not be there. So you need to make sure it's viable. So 100% the right call. Christian, extra year, right call? Yeah, 100% the right call. Like Antonis touched on, you've got to ensure this is, you know, this is done, you know, without, I guess, any mistakes. You know, you can't afford to, to get it wrong. Um, but I just want to touch on a slight concern that I do have. Um, I think in order for this to truly work, there needs to be, you know, as much balance as possible spread across the country. Because, you know, if you focus too much on, you know, bringing clubs from Melbourne and Sydney and sort of, you know, make it sort of a two-state focus, if you will, you know. I know we don't have the full details in terms of, like, how many teams are going to get relegated and promoted as of yet. But, you know, for example, just say two teams get relegated from the A-League and two clubs happen to be, you know, Perth and Adelaide, for instance, who, who go down. And then, you know, one team from Sydney and Melbourne get promoted. I mean... I think we just have to be careful of how we approach it. That's all. Well, there's not going to be a promotion relegation to start with. It's that's a, that's a very very long way away, if at all. 
yeah, when it gets to that point. But that's what I'm saying. Like the planning process just has to be, you know, has to be spot on before we get to that stage. I totally understand your perspective in terms of making sure the whole country is represented. But I, I think the more important issue specifically for the short term of this competition is that the clubs are financially sustainable and the league as a whole will be financially sustainable yeah. in the ultra short yeah. term. Because mm-hmm. as Antonis mentioned, if we get this wrong for the startup, it pushes the idea back so much further than the last 20 years it has been already. So mm-hmm. it, there's been very stringent uh, financial requirements that the clubs have had to meet as part of the bidding process. And if, if that means that a WA or an SA club isn't there initially, and these are just rumours as well, we don't have these clubs confirmed, but if that's the case for the first few years of the competition, I think that's a sacrifice that probably has to be made to just ensure that we can get it off the ground. Yeah, and just right now, I'll tell you right now, currently, by themselves, no South Australian team can afford to get in. That's just a fact. Unless you find a partner, be in the Federation or a backer or something like that, no one can get right now, but the benefit it will have on the landscape in general, like outweighs our participation for the time being, if you know what I mean. The goal should be, as you said, get these clubs in, make sure that they're sustainable financially, and just have a league that people, it's a fresh league, people will get interested in it, and make sure it's viable. And before we start looking in the long term for pro-rail, it's about having, I don't know how many numbers... APL and Football Australia want, but you need a fully formed and complete A-League, a fully formed and complete national second division, whatever you're going to call it. Have the club, it's going to be, it has to be full. If it is 18 or 20 or 16, whatever it is, have that. And then when you're ready and sustainable, clubs are looking good, then you can start. But again, we are a stratosphere away from that. Let's get the 10, 12, whatever it is in. Let's see how they go. Let's get them as strong as possible. And then we can build from there because everything gets built on foundations. And if the foundations suck, everything else is going to go along that path too. Bloody. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, I think my only concern with the national second tier, and this is not necessarily a criticism of football Australia. Um, I just, I don't, like, as much as I love the idea of the national second tier, I don't love the idea of a second national men's competition where, you know, based on based on the requirements from the Football Australia have already publicly announced that it's going to be professional players, or sorry, players who are deemed professional, whether that's fully professional or semi-professional, this idea that we could have a fully professional second men's competition before we have a fully professional women's competition just doesn't sit right with me. After the format and the teams of the competition are announced on the 20th of November, we will do a dedicated episode on the national second tier. But until then, that is all for today's episode of A-Leagues of Our Own. Pauletti, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And Tonus, thank you. Yeah, good to be back on here. We'll look forward to the next weekend now. Thank you, Christian. Thanks, Lucky. Thank you all for listening to the show. We'll be back tomorrow with a dub review. Goodbye.